and welcome to the O&M Stockroom. We are your hosts, Brian McGarry. And Ken O'Malley. Tonight is episode 23 of Complimentary Cinema. If you are new to the channel, Complimentary Cinema is a program where we review and discuss films that you can watch for free that are available on YouTube. Please be warned that we discuss these films in detail, so consider this a full spoiler alert. Uh, we pick these films pretty much randomly, just whatever pops up on or pops up on the uh, YouTube algorithm. And uh, a couple weeks ago, I saw it was Clue that was in the list, and that looked pretty good. Clue from 1985, uh, directed by Jonathan Lynn, and co-written by Jonathan Lynn and John Landis. And uh, starring in this film, we have. Eileen Brennan as Mrs. Peacock, Tim Curry as Wadsworth, Madeline Kahn as Mrs. White, Christopher Lloyd as Professor Plum, Michael McKean as Mr. Green, Martin Mull as Colonel Mustard, Leslie Ann Warren as Miss Scarlet, Colleen Camp as Yvette, Lee Ving as Mr. Body, Bill Henderson as The Cop, Jane Weedlin as the singing telegram, uh, telegram girl, and a few other stragglers there. So uh, let's see. So films from 1985, mid-80s comedy based on a board game. Will it meet the three criteria that we look for in a film, Ken? Do you remember what those are? Yes. Whether it's well-written, well-produced, and well-acted. Will this film meet these criteria? We'll find out here in, uh, in the course of this conversation. So, uh, so it's based on a board game. Now, I, I have not played this game in quite a while. Yeah. I'm a little rusty on some of the details. You, however, are a board game king. Yeah. Uh, an enthusiast, I would say. Um, yeah. So the, the, the basic concept of the board game is there's been a murder. Mr. Body is dead. And you have to figure out which of the suspects it is, what weapon they used, and what room it was in. And if you do those things, then you win the game. And that's that's the concept of the original board game. And this movie does follow that uh, quite faithfully in, in a number of ways, but also has to expand upon it in order to become a 90-minute film. Yeah, they turned it into a, a, a whodunit, you know, murder mystery, dinner party, basically all in one movie. And it's all kind of self-contained, the story in, in a bottle. It's a house that they're all locked inside and no one can get out. And uh, it, it, the one murder of the board game turns into a string of murders in the movie, which also kind of amps up, you know. Definitely raises the stakes for our characters and uh, their various involvements in it. So I, I had not really seen this film before. I had seen little bits and pieces many years ago in the break room at my old work when I was uh, when I was a young man and it was like an old crappy VHS copy and the only thing I can really remember was looking at the screen one time being like oh hey that's Tim Curry I love Tim Curry and that's about the extent of my memory of this film yeah and I have not played the board game in probably 25 years which after watching this I think I'm going to have to rectify <laughs> It is a classic. So these, uh, we basically just start with like this beautiful house, this kind of old 
very traditional, very classy mansion kind of in the middle of nowhere on a dark and stormy night. And Tim Curry plays the butler Wadsworth who shows up and gets everything, uh, gets the house in order, gets the, the cook, the kitchen, everything all, all prepped and tidy for a little dinner party. Some guests are arriving. So yeah, there's a number of guests who are all arriving and they're all given uh, these fake names. Apparently they've been sent a letter that told them to come to this house at this time for a dinner party and that, you know, all would be revealed after they came. Um, And so there's six other people that that show up and they're all given these these strange names and uh, they proceed with a kind of... um, uneasy dinner party so they're they they all meet in the study right the first place i think so yeah is it the lounge i don't know it it was it had lots of books it's the study yeah i I think i think it was the study there's a lot of rooms in this house you'll have to forgive us i guess they start in the library actually okay so they start in the library and then they move to the study they move to the dining room (laughs) well they, they start having dinner in the dining room that's for sure yeah so anyway, there's a lot of rooms. If you're familiar with the board game, the main concept is there's a whole bunch of rooms. And that's part of the challenge is you have to move around the house and, and figure out the mystery. So this, this movie definitely centers around that. There's a lot of, of going from place to place. And uh, so at the dinner, the people start working out that maybe they know each other and there might be something that connects them together. And that's kind of the foundation of the mystery. Uh how exactly do they know each other? They're all somehow involved in like politics or uh, from Washington, D.C. And that's about as much as they're able to figure out kind of in this this opening section. Yeah, this, the very early, very, this very early scene, they're all just very awkward. And you have one older lady, Miss Peacock, who is just an absolute blabbermouth, who has to absolutely fill the void with talking. Which you can clearly see just starts grating on everyone else at the table, and that's when it, that's how it kind of comes out that they're all they all have a similar connection in some fashion. And uh, once they get to a certain point, uh, Wadsworth kind of directs them to the next room. Well, Mister Body shows up. Okay, so yeah, Mister Body shows up at the end of dinner. Yeah, and so he is. Uh... You know, he seems to have more knowledge than everyone else. You know, he he knows, he openly acknowledges that he knows Yvette, and, who is the, the maid. And um, they decide to go to the study to kind of discuss what's going on. And that's when Wadsworth starts uh, telling them the connection is that they're all black, being blackmailed. And that is the connection between them all. And they all have various uh, kinds of secrets. Uh, one is, uh, you know, that he's a homosexual who works for the state department. Another one is that she, uh, her husband takes bribes in exchange for his votes in the Senate. It's worth mentioning too, that, that it's important to the story that this movie takes place in the fifties. This, the movie 1954, new England to be exact. So we're during the Eisenhower presidency that is right at the peak of anti-communist fever. Um, Senator McCarthy was doing his, uh, his 
his own little inquisition. There were a lot of blacklists in Hollywood. So it was definitely, uh, it's funny because, you know, people talk about it being the nifty 50s. But it was a very uh, oppressive and persecutive, is that even a word? A, a very, uh, there was a lot of persecution happening in the 50s for a lot of different people. It's a cert- certainly a difficult time for artistic freedom, I think. Um, and everything was kind of whitewashed and, you know, made to look like, oh, everything's fine. You know, that's kind of the sentiment you get from stuff from the 50s. Certainly to me, absolutely. So all these people have, you know, various secrets. I think, uh, you know, Miss White, it's that she's, you know, killed at least one of her husbands, maybe more. Another was uh, Miss Scarlet uh, runs a, uh, basically a house of ill reputes. And another one of the gentlemen in her, in her uh, company is a, uh, a customer. So there's lots of little, little connections there. And it's funny because instead of really like uniting them all, they all, they still kind of, they, they take more of an adversarial role with each other almost immediately. That's because even though like they have their own dirty secrets, they're very judgmental towards the others for their dirty laundry, which I thought was kind of amusing and also very American. Yes. And all of these little like ticks and like things when they're trying to like accuse other people of things and all that stuff. We're getting like a whole bunch of little snippets of information, but that kind of adds to the mystery because we still never get a full picture of what exactly is going on. We have an idea of why they're being blackmailed and maybe how some of them are connected, but it's still not clear anything that's really going on. Even the things they tell you, they don't necessarily confirm either. It's just put out more as suggestions or, you know, innuendo sometimes even. So after a while, you know, they're, they're in this, uh, in this room and Wadsworth is reading. He starts, you know, basically reading what all of them are guilty of. That's allowed them to become compromised and to be blackmailed. And then they find out that it was in fact, Mr. Body who's been doing the blackmailing all along. And uh, he goes and he uh, grabs a, a suitcase, a very cool suitcase uh, from the uh, the entry room and brings it in and gives each of the dinner guests a little box with a great little purple ribbon on it. What's in those boxes, Ken? Well, it's a great scene too because like the music, you know, kind of slowly builds up as everyone gets their box. They've got these purple ribbons on black boxes. It's just like the whole look of the scene is just like, it's great. That suspense is building towards like what the heck is going to happen. And as they open each box, there are the weapons that are from the original clue game. So there's the candlestick, there's a rope, there's a lead pipe, a gun, a revolver. Uh, what's the other one? A wrench. And it's gotta be one other one, right? Revolver, lead pipe, wrench, the noose, candlestick, candlestick, Seems like there's got to be the like, knife. Though the knife, of yeah, course, duh, and the knife. So all of the these are the traditional weapons from the original board game. So at this point, you're you know fully into the stage has been set. Parker Brothers has you by the balls by this point. And anyone who just played the game knows that Mister Body's going to die. So you know, but he presents it as um, he is given all these characters these weapons, 
And he says, what you should do is kill Wadsworth because he's the one keeping us here. If we get rid of him, we can all just go and no one will know any better. They can all continue with their anonymous shame and blackmail like nothing ever happened. And uh, Mr. Body goes up to the up to the uh, light switch and flicks it off and you hear a gunshot. There's the smashing of glass. There's pandemonium in the dark. There's pandemonium in the dark. And when the lights come on, Mr. Body's there dead on the floor. And the rest of the room is in shock. Who could have killed such a a forthright stand-up guy like Mr. Body? So at this point, everyone kind of has motive to kill him. You know, everyone had a weapon, and they're not exactly sure how he died. Because even though there was a gunshot, uh, there's no, like, bullet wound in him. So was he hit with something? You know, what... You know, it's not clear what killed him. He's got some blood on his head. Yeah, yeah. So, and, uh, so this starts like the sleuthing uh, that is like the whole, consumes the rest of the movie of trying to figure out who is uh, responsible for this crime. Where did they leave after this? What room do they go to next? Uh, they they're, they ask like who else, like is there anyone else here? And then they remember that the cook is also there. The cook, Mrs. Ho. Yeah. So they run down to the, the cook's the only other person in the house. So they go down to, to find the cook. And when Mr. Green opens the, the door to the refrigerator, she falls out and she's been stabbed with the knife. Right in the back like Julius Caesar. Yes. And at this point too, I, I'd like if we haven't made it clear, which I don't think we have. This is a comedy film. Yes. They took what, so like when I, I, when I played this game as a kid, it always, it was always kind of like a, like a, kind of like a dark murder mystery. Not the, I wouldn't call it lighthearted comedy, but it's not like black comedy either. It's like, it's like, a, it's a definitely a dark humor in which, you know, they make pretty light of the murder and uh, all the other things that go on and, and make, have a lot of fun at its expense, especially um, some of the later murders, you know, the one with Mr. Body is not really funny, but you know, all the interactions between the characters before that have a lot of humor. There's a lot of one liners. Like you were kind of saying at each other's expense about, you know, what they're accused of and stuff like that. So it's very funny just from the very beginning. Um, but then when we get into the little suspenseful part, it, it does turn a couple times where it does feel really suspenseful. And then we get right back into the humor as soon as, you know. It's an interesting blend of comedy and suspense. Mm-hmm. For sure. It's never really a suspense film. It's never really a comedy film. And that works in its own weird way that it doesn't really pick one or the other. Yeah. Just kind of, just kind of rides the line there. Well, and part of it's too because they keep you guessing. So like... I think in between there, like uh, the reason they re- left the study is because Yvette screamed because she was listening on the recording. That's true. And uh, it had been it had been mentioned that maybe one someone someone had poisoned the champagne or something like that, and she screamed because she was listening in the other room and she had drank the champagne. And if you haven't seen this movie before, and if you're confused and lost, I don't blame you. There's a <laughs> lot that goes on in this it's, film. That's why it's kind of hard to to give a plot summary of this movie because like you can go through each move of like what who did what when and it like well it gets real crazy later. But like we'd be here for two hours at least. Yes, explaining all the movements. 
So it's more kind of about like the general plot in this part is we're trying to discover what happened to Mr. Body. But then suddenly we're thrown into the next part is that someone also has killed the cook. And this is where the stakes raise from the board game in that there you have a second murder. Right. And it's like, okay, well, there's now like a serious murder among us. Like, it's not just like, who had motivation to kill the cook? Like, what the hell is going on now? You know? I mean, they seem to like the food. Right. Right. Even Miss Peacock was like, this was my favorite recipe, one of my favorite recipes. And mm-hmm. Which we find out later on is monkey brains, which uh, brought me back to Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember that scene where they uh, they take off the monkey skulls and they eat what yeah. looks like, like Jello. My sister always got grossed out as a kid by that. <laughs> and I always used to eat like putting her Jello and tell her it was monkey brains and she would get angry at me. So anyway, as, so anyway, as we as we continue through the movie, uh, there's just a number of different things that come up where we we keep trying to figure out new mysteries, and then we find new little quirks and stuff about what what's going on. Well, just as soon as they you know they they kind of get a handle on each other and their surroundings, uh, there's another murder. And like the connective glue of all this too is Tim Curry kind of plays the narrator as the butler. And he's he's informing all the characters as we're going along. Like, you know, even at that part at that point, he's like, This wasn't supposed to happen this way. We were just supposed to wait for, you know, I've called the police, the police are gonna come and they'll discover all this blackmail and stuff like this. That's his plan originally. And everything else is now chaos. Yeah, so like yeah, so like Wadsworth has been trying to orchestrate this this dinner which which he admits at some point early in the film. He orchestrated to get all these people together. He sent out the letters to bring them and it's amazing that they all came. You can't get anybody to go out anymore. And of course, you know, 1954, it's a different time. Right. You know, people love to be to see and be seen. Well, blackmail. So And blackmail too. You know, there was that little issue. Some people wouldn't care. But yeah, so um, so after the cook is dead, then they discover that Mr. Body was killed for real with a candlestick in the bathroom. Yeah, because when they go back to the study to talk to, to bring the cook to keep all the bodies in one place, Mr. Body is not there anymore. So it's like, well, he didn't die. He ran off. But then it's discovered that he did die, actually. <laughs> and that he was actually murdered by the actual murderer. So this movie just keeps you guessing, uh, and whether people are dead or not even is apparently in question. Yeah, because every time you see a new body after that, like a you know, a, there's another corpse, you never really feel confident that it that that person is actually dead. And even like this is another part of like the humor that comes through quite a, a few times. Like they make some jokes about Mister Body's body and like a lot of like wordplay with that. And, and it just keeps coming, you know, they, they, it's all subtle. Like if you were watching this movie and you weren't really picking up on the humor, it could just go right by you. You have some like really, so you, and let's talk about j- just the, the way that these actors interact with each other. You've got Michael McKean, who was in this is spinal tap and just a million other things. Christopher Lloyd, who has fantastic comedic timing, Madeline Kahn, who did a whole bunch of uh, Mel Brooks films, 
like Young Frankenstein, Blazing Saddles. She's been in a, she had incredible comic timing. You get a bunch of just really sharp tongue and very witty people who are. Uh, and I think you nailed it with just the comedic timing. Like they had to have group comedic timing, which is, it takes it to a whole nother level. There's a ton of physical stuff in here. There's Yeah, there's physical comedy. There's. There's the dialogue, and then also, too, I mean, this is an ensemble cast. Tim Curry, you know, playing Wadsworth as the butler who's kind of orchestrating everything, even he doesn't fully dominate the scenes. Right. There's a lot of give and take with all of them, and there's no showboating Mm -hmm. from any of them. No, No one's trying to hog the camera or hog the scene, which is really great. And they all get a fair amount of time. Correct. It's incredibly well balanced like that so that you don't, which is really great because you don't ever pick a favorite and as they, you're watching this. And like they all spend time being the one joking and being funny and the t- spend time being the butt of the joke, you know? Yes. And being the one under suspicion and being the one accusing. Yes. And so it, ke- it keeps going around the whole time. And when you have like seven or, you know, what, seven or eight characters like that, it's pretty incredible. To, to be honest, that they just, uh, before we started recording, you were saying, you know, that the, the film had a $15 million budget and it didn't even make its budget back when this was came out in 1985. And that's really sad. Mm-hmm. It, I think a lot of people really missed out at the time on this one. And I think the nature of it is probably like a lot of people were, there was two kinds of different crowds, I guess, on this. It's like, why would you go see a board game movie about like some kid's game? And second, like maybe you, you thought it was going to be either a serious movie and it turned out to be kind of this, you know, dark comedy slash uh, suspense movie. You know, I think maybe people didn't know how to deal with this movie. Yeah, they, I, I bet they didn't know how to market it so that it couldn't find its audience in the first place. I mean, this is definitely not a children's movie. It's definitely not a children's movie. But it's not like gory where you couldn't watch it if you were a kid. It's just like all the funny stuff would go over your head. And, uh, you know, we're kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but this film has three different endings. Yeah. And when it came out, each theater or chain of theaters had different endings. It's like one theater would be showing ending A, another would be showing ending B, and another ending C. And I think that's absolutely brilliant. And I can't think of a better way for this particular film to be finished. Um, Because just like the game, it's different every time. Right. It ends ends differently every single time. I wonder if that also led to the low box office. Because when people first saw it, they didn't, they would argue with other people who had seen it that of what the ending actually was. Or... I wonder if it was also off-putting to people that, well, they would have to see it three times to actually see the, "quote unquote" the whole film. Mm-hmm. So that that's a, that's an interesting interesting thought there. I think this movie is just like way ahead of its time. I think a movie like this would do great now. You know what I mean? It would do wonderful now. I think with that with that caliber of acting and such great writing and great timing and great editing. Absolutely. And it was a cheap film to make overall. I mean, they, they filmed this all basically in one set that they built 
and then like one ballroom that they filmed in and that was it. Mm -hmm. So you don't have, you have like no costume changes. True. You can, you're basically just running around the same few sets. So once you've built them, they're built. And when you say running, you mean running. Like they literally do run from room to room at one point and often back and forth. So that's, uh, you know, and, and also too, I mean, yeah, it's a mansion and it's got like this really nice staircase and nice artwork, but how much stuff do they just have in a warehouse? They can just pull out, right? you know, and just sh- throw on the wall for a scene. Yeah. So it's like the production costs of just the, the material of it is pretty minimal. Yeah. And you could do a great film like this. This is definitely a film that they should consider making a new version of. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's been like 30, oh God, 36 years now since this one came out. See, I feel like I don't know how they would handle like the story, I guess, because you'd have to modernize it. Would you though? Because they didn't modernize it for this. They said it in the fifties. I think like that's part of its charm. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. Well, said it in the eighties. I guess. I mean, you, you could play around with when it happened. I mean, obviously, you know, it wouldn't work with the internet. Wouldn't yeah. work, really work with cell phones. It wouldn't work with like state-of-the-art security cameras. Yeah, that's true. You know, as long as it's like pre-1990 or even pre-2000, it would, it could feasibly work. Yeah. I feel like, I guess you could do it, but you would definitely have to... I, not even modernize the time it's in, but there's just a lot of the, I don't know. Like there, there, there's definitely, the humor is definitely dated. The the style of humor mm-hmm. is dated. Um, while I really enjoyed this film and I, I did laugh at it, I wasn't like, ha 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 laugh. Mm-hmm. It was just like, you know, sensible chuckle laughing. Yeah. Because it's, it doesn't go far enough in some, in some respects to our modern, sensibilities i think that's like that's what the movie is you know it's not a comedy where you just laugh out loud it's a comedy where a bunch of funny things keep happening just little they're not real funny they're little funny and so it just keeps being a little funny the whole time which works if occasionally it's very funny yeah I i think that's the part that they missed they needed to go a little extra a couple times for a little more payoff in that regard Instead of instead of just like the slow burn, occasionally get that get that hit, yeah, you know, and then go and then bring that, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get it. So one one of our uh, frequent categories is best performance in the film, and uh, that that's that's a tough one. But I mean, I think D- Tim Curry definitely takes the cake on this one. He definitely works the hardest. I think. I think uh, he's really good. I, I really like Mr. Green too. Like Mr. Green plays the like kind of bumbling idiot for the most part. And I really appreciate his role. Lots, lots of good physical humor on his part. And (laughs) especially his line in one of the endings Mm. was really great. And just the delivery of that was, was fantastic. Mm -hmm. And then, um, uh, what was another, another great one? Um, Eileen Brennan is Mrs. Peacock. Mm, yes. She really, uh, she was an absolute fireball. I think like, it's just amazing. Like everyone gave an excellent performance in this. Yeah. Nobody held back. They really, they really did great. Christopher Lloyd. 
Like every, like you said earlier, everyone had a time to shine. Everybody did. They all had a time to shine. And that really, that for me is like, you know, Martin Mole as Colonel Mustard is probably the most, and I say this loosely, he's, he's, he was probably the, the least interesting of these characters. And even so, still really enjoyed his performance and still enjoyed what he contributed. Yeah, I would agree. He's definitely the, the most straightforward as far as what his character is. So I think that's probably also part of it. And Colonel Mustard is supposed to be an actual colonel. So that also plays into it well, too. Right. The one straight man of the room, supposedly, who also makes a continual ass of himself. Pretty much. Throughout, which is really nice. He's the kind of like always got his foot in his mouth. And he does it very well. Very effective. All right. Uh, most useless or extraneous characters? Um, I mean, obviously, like the cook or, you know, someone who, I mean, the cook was only there to get murdered. Didn't have any speaking lines. I think she had like one line. Yeah. Now she's like, dinner will be ready at 730, I think. So we kind of, we didn't mention, but later in the story, there's a number of people who, for whatever reason or another, come into the mansion. And so we have a string of murders by the end of the movie. Six people have died. At least six. So the, uh, there's a number of people who only really come into the story to get killed, but mostly are are used for to kind of build the intrigue or build the humor. Or build the tension. Yes. Like when the first uninvited guest shows up, it's a motorist who's like, oh, my car broke down and mm-hmm. can I come in and use the phone? And they're like, yeah, sure. Let's just lock you in this room. Mm-hmm. And, and then gets, lo and behold, after a while, he's out for the count. Yeah. And then but uh, before he gets knocked out, though, before, he, he says like something like he's whoever he's talking to on the phone. He's like, the strangest thing is that my boss is here. And then he gets killed. So it's he, like and then he gets killed. The plot keeps thickening when these people are un, unknown. People are coming in. And then an unrelated police officer who found that motorist's car comes in and also wants to use the phone because it's the 50s. And payphones just aren't around every corner, especially when you live in a mansion in the middle of nowhere. Right. And there's no cell phones. Yeah. And that police officer comes in and he also gets locked in a room mm-hmm. and then gets let out and then looks around and uh, may not be the brightest cop because he was easily fooled by some of the shenanigans. Yeah. <laughs> Which is also hilarious. But he also, be, you know, ends up being dispatched as well. Pun intended. And uh, a so little anyway. bit, a little bit later on, there's a, a singing telegram girl, uh, Jane Weedland of the Go Go's, who were just uh, became inductees to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame just uh, this last month. I voted for him at least twelve times, so I was very excited about that. I'm not gonna lie, I knew that her scene in this film was like five seconds long, but that's still part of the reason why I'm like, ooh, I want to watch Clue. Because I knew she, I knew she had a bit part in it after she left the Go Go's. I just, I'm a man with simple tastes. But yeah, so she does a singing telegram thing, and she just boom gets shot and done. She's just a corpse through the rest of the film. She had slightly more speaking in Star Trek IV: The Undiscovered Country, in '86. Yeah, she plays an alien Starfleet officer on the screen at Starfleet headquarters. That's she had a couple other small roles, and that's basically her entire film career. Interesting. 
I think it is. So the main point is that if if you could call any of them the least important character or one you could get rid of, I would say out of all of them, the cook is probably the least. Um, uh, I mean, she, probably the most functional. She plays comedic value as a corpse, as as a large, heavy set corpse that the the weaker, uh, kind of frail dinner guests have to contend with. Yes. So I I feel like I guess there's no useless characters. Everyone is used toward the intrigue and the the story. Um, I don't know. It's just all those tertiary characters that are killed are just on on a different level. You know, yeah. they're, they're not the main characters of the ensemble cast, so they do their part to build the story, and then they they're get all, killed. They're all completely utilitarian. There is no extra. There are no extra bodies in this film. Not even Mr. Body's body. Not even Mr. Body's body. Okay, so let's talk about a little bit about the editing and uh, cinematography on this one. Uh, again, the so editing, I mean, we talk about the three different endings at the end. A, B, and C. That's a masterful bit of editing, the way that they did that. And the way that they filmed that and scripted it um oh, there was there was a couple of lines that carried through each version one of which about you know communism just being a red herring which i thought was really great yeah and it was somebody somebody different always delivered it and they always delivered it a different way mhm i think what's cool too is that the way they did it because another really funny part is that near the end of the film uh wadsworth says i've solved the mystery and I and to tell you how I'm going to run you through the whole events of the night, and he literally goes through and recounts the entire rest of the movie <laughs> in short form. He really does, and it was at that point where I'm just thinking to myself, like, "Oh shit, how are we supposed to talk about this later?" Because <laughs> who could even do it better than him? Nobody, absolutely nobody. And then the part where they cut between the, the three different endings is when he demonstrates earlier that the power goes out. And so when he flips it back on is when we're in each ending. That's when the divergence begins. Right. And when that ha- and and then after that first ending, well, I'm like, oh, well, that was a good movie. You looked at me and you're like, did you know? And I'm like, oh, no, I didn't. So that was a very nice, unexpected treat. Yeah. So that was good. So just, yeah, good editing. And I loved the, um, the way that they framed the shots, too, was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, well, like the, kind of like you mentioned too, like the house is really like it's that one set, but it looks nice. It's like you know, it looks like a mansion, and so they're constantly showing like the view out into the hallway, into rooms. Um, when we get into the parts where it's like a murder is going to happen, we go in real close so we can't see who's doing it, um, and you see the reaction of the face of the person getting murdered a lot. So it's it's just like you keep you get that visceral connection when it's when it's the comedy part. It's usually further out. And we're seeing multiple people in the cast, and then when it gets intense, we we get in close. Yeah, really, pan, you know, moves in, pans out for the uh, for the comedy, and uh, the lighting too. I, I liked a lot. Um, they gave you there's a uh, like one scene too, like where where they go into a couple of rooms, like one with like a there was a piano in there and. Just the way that it was lit just felt like it was like an old, dusty room that just has been completely neglected and ignored. 
Um, I know there was uh, one, one time in particular when uh, the light was really falling on on Miss Scarlet, and it really felt like uh, kind of like those old Technicolor movies from like the fifties and sixties. There were times where the film had that vibe to me, mm. where it had like those kinds of color washes and everything. Because it wasn't Technicolor, but they kind of emulated it a little bit from like the, you know, because it was set in that period. Mm-hmm. I think that was just a nice, very subtle touch, but it definitely worked. The way that they, you know, the pick colors of the drapes, all kinds of stuff. Those subtle nods. I think going back and forth between the scenery and being aware of what room you're in, because obviously that's important to both the story and kind of the, the board game, um, is just like crucial to this movie just understanding where you are geographically and where everyone else is and how it's connected, especially like to the part where they split up and they're in different places. Um, yeah, see, I, I haven't played the game in so long and I feel like I should have tried to play this game before watching the movie. Do you have this game by no. chance? Okay. We may have to just find one yeah. sometime. I'm sure we could. Yeah. find. I'm sure we could find one something real easy. That'd be fun. Cause this is a game that definitely, if you've not played it before, it is a lot of fun and it is a great little mystery. See, when I played this game as a kid, I hated it because I always lost. Yeah. Because I was terrible at it. it. It requires patience and like, you know, keeping notes and stuff. And that's like, I'm terrible at both of those things. Are you though now? I don't know. Probably. I'll probably be fine at it now. I'm sure you'd be fine at it now. But as a kid, yeah, it's definitely a little tougher for kids. It's a waiting game. You know, it's a deduction game. And I don't know. It's a thinking game. I was never into it when I was younger, but I probably just wanted the game to be over so I could go run around or something. So if you're a young adult or even an old adult, this will be a great game for you. At least, you know, from what I can remember about it. <laughs> we'll find out when we play it. Find out when we play it. Maybe on next week's episode, we'll we'll let you know how we did. <laughs> so with all of these uh, all of these bits taken into consideration, does this film meet our three primary criteria of well-written, well-acted, and well-produced? I would say yes. I would say definitely yes. Um, what it wasn't was uh, well-attended upon its release. But it definitely does seem to have found its audience in the years since. And it's not flashy. You know, there's nothing in this movie where... If you just showed a clip, like it would be hard to market because you can't just show the funny clips. You can't just throw show the serious clips to really get a feel of what this movie is. So it is kind of like it does lend itself to being a movie that has a following now or people know it and appreciate it. But it's really hard to like I, I they had a really hard job to to market this movie for sure. You know, and it's funny that you mentioned that because we never ever watch the trailers for these films. No. So I really have no idea what the trailer for this was like when it was released. Probably just like action, I would have to imagine. Or some of those. I yeah, I don't know. That would have been. Or maybe they played into the board game aspect of it of the parts you would know. I mean, that's that's probably what I would do. Just play into the the mystery part and the. You know, the fact that it's the different characters from the game and that kind of thing. Maybe we should uh, pause for a moment and watch the trailer and come back and comment on it. That would be interesting. Okay, let's do it. We've never done this before. 
We're breaking new ground. We're going to break new ground. We'll be back in a moment. Okay, so we just watched a uh, under two-minute trailer for it, and uh, they basically just play it off as a slapsticky comedy that's based on the game. Yeah, they they, and, they did highlight each character, which was hi- something I, I, I just mentioned. Yeah. And the action-y kind of parts. Yeah. And just... Or just kind of like one-liners, I guess. Yeah, some of the one-liners... Not a great trailer. Not not an enticing trailer, no. I would have played up the suspenseful part of it. I don't know. I guess they tried to play play up the the comedy. They really did, which is too bad because it's not... Their tagline, too, was it's not just a board game anymore, which is a terrible tagline. I just... I don't know how you market a suspense comedy. Like, how do you do that? Uh, add more suspense in the trailer for one thing. There wasn't really any. Yeah. It was all, it, it was cut too quickly. Mm-hmm. And there was too much like, ah, ah. and you know, maybe even just leave the board game part out of it. Yeah, I guess. You know, I mean, to be fair, it was the, f- the first movie of its kind. There was not a movie made on a board game before this. Yeah. That's why I think this was so far ahead of its time. Yeah. It's it's based on a board game, which is unusual. It's, it is, yeah. Video games are fairly common now, but even then, how many other actual board games have there been movies on? Right. I mean, there's been a glut of them recently, but that's, yeah. like, like you said, it's more of a modern thing. So anyway, it, it's I think it was way ahead of its time, and they didn't know what the hell to do with it. That's just too bad because it really is a very entertaining and wonderful film. And I definitely recommend it. Absolutely. This is, uh, I would say this is kind of a classic of its of its time. It is. It is definitely a cult classic and I hope uh, more people watch it so that they too can enjoy it. And it's worth watching for Tim Curry alone. And it's free to watch. It is free to watch. As always. Because every film on complimentary cinema... You can watch for free. You don't have to pay anything. It's great. We didn't pay anything. We paid nothing. We watched it. And it was good. That's a wrap for tonight's episode here at the O&M Stockroom. We are your hosts, Brian McGarry. And Ken O'Malley. If you enjoyed this segment of Complimentary Cinema, more episodes can be found at omstockroom.com, along with links to our Patreon page and various streaming outlets. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next Wednesday with an all-new episode. It was Brian in the study.